We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Well, I'm excited about our show. How about that? Yeah. Uh, we talked to uh, David Walker of nola.com about treme it was epic i think it was our longest shelf ever yeah no i say except for our our deadwood mega shelf which was different yeah it's uh that's gonna be at the end of the show it was so much fun and it, it hopefully it's almost an hour of treme talk so hopefully you guys like treme and if you don't, it's at the end, so you can just skip it. But it was really yeah. great to talk with him and to talk, you know, aside from the fact that he, you know, is uh, the TV columnist over at the Times Picayune, and he knows what he's talking about as far as TV goes. He's also a New, or New Orleanian, and so he could fill us in on some things from that side of things as well. So it was, it was really great to talk with him. And he's been following the show since before it existed, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Uh, so, so that'll be coming at the end of the show. Um, we have some. Uh, we still have our friends giveaway going down at Sound on Sight. I've gotten a few entries from people, but I'm actually a little surprised there hasn't been more interest. Uh, to remind, we're giving away a Blu-ray uh, set of all ten seasons of Friends, and to enter, you just need to email admin at Sound on Sight. Uh, that's Ricky with which friend you are most like, and if you'd like a second. Uh, entry in the in the raffle or the drawing you can email the televerse at gmail.com which is me with what your favorite moment uh in friends is and that's been it's been fun to to see what you guys have picked most of them i'm like oh yeah that was great so i i look forward to hopefully hearing from a few more of you we will be i think we're gonna be giving that away next week so there's not that much time left uh yes do that i mean i'm i'm not a, a friends mega fan but man Ten seasons of anything on Blu-ray I'll for take free? It. Yes, please. For free. <laughs> um, we also have going down at the site this week. Well, we'll be getting into December here at the end of the week, and that means it is Tarantino month, as I understand it. Yes, we're doing reviews of every single Tarantino film uh, on the podcast, except for the ones that he just wrote. Although we did do True Romance uh, shortly after Tony Scott died. And so, yeah, and it's going to obviously uh, culminate in the release of Django Unchained uh, on Christmas Day. We should have some columns as well, but I'm not exactly sure what that's going to consist of yet. But uh, do keep your eyes on it. And we're wrapping up, of course, our 50 Years of Bond uh, marathon this month. I should be putting up a review of Quantum of Solace sometime this week because I'm a contrarian and I decided, hey, how about let's take a look at the movie that totally derailed the franchise? <laughs> Although actually that's not really fair, but I'll get into that on the in the review. So that'll be fun to look forward to. Uh, we had I had fun talking to you guys this week. We had some nice comments. We heard from Mario who filled us in about uh, Amazing Race and passports. So we had asked last week uh, if anybody else has had passport trouble and gotten kicked off from that, and it's, apparently they have. So thank you for filling us in, Mario. He also uh, talked a bit about the 
what's going on in, in the pool and who he thinks could win. Uh, but we'll talk about more that when we get to the Amazing Race this week. We also heard from Ken talking Walking Dead and Godwin's Law, which is pretty fun, as well as giving some love to my, to our Chicago Bears, who had uh, another victory this week. Uh, I, should, I shouldn't say another. We we broke our losing streak this week. <laughs> and the Packers lost, too. Uh, so it was a good brag. It was a good week. It was a good week for you know Chicago football fans. Uh, also talked with Keith about Firefly and Dan about the, the latest D&D movie at Sci-Fi Channel, or Siffy, which uh, that was fun. I, I enjoyed... I've seen the first two D&D movies, uh, and I liked one of them. And uh, I guess maybe I liked half of one of them, but uh, that was fun talking with Dan. Um, and then also I talked with a few of you a little bit about Lonesome Dove, which I finally have started to watch. I'm going to watch uh, the kind of kind of space it out a little bit, you know, mini series viewing. But I've really liked what I've seen so far. So hopefully someone will come on soon for a DVD shelf about Lonesome Dove because it's, it's awesome. Throwing it out there. Yeah. So wait, what are the ones that we have standing right now? Uh, um uh, men of a certain age and lonesome dove. Should, any other ones we should uh, throw out there? Band of Brothers. I could do Band, Band of Brothers. Brothers, or any of the Grammyost ones, like from the Year to the Moon, or yeah, um, the Pacific. There are just too many choices for amazing yeah. DVD shelf segments. It's never going to go yeah. away. And I and I and I'm still and I'm going to bring up the Kingdom again because I want to make Kate really really scared. <laughs> There will be more opportunity for that in the future. I'm, I'm sorry. Actually, I know because we've scheduled more opportunity for me to be scared in the future. Um, we didn't get any uh, new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, but hopefully we, we might next week. Um, uh, but let's get into our week in TV here so that we can get to our fabulous DVD shelf or, or season spotlight, as it were, at the end with Dave Walker. So first up, we have the Tuesday comedies. And this week, that means Ben and Kate, New Girl, Mindy Project, Happy Endings. And also, I checked out Go On. So that's what you know we have to, to draw with. Most of these are based around Thanksgiving, though not all of them. Uh, what did you think of Tuesday's comedies? I thought the best one was the one that wasn't centered around Thanksgiving, which was Ben and Kate which I feel like is on a roll now, has finally found its groove. Uh, I like that I've, I've utterly forgotten his name, but Kate's love interest, I like the way he's actually been folded in. It isn't just a bland, handsome guy they have around, which I feel like is what basically every other sitcom that's on right now would do. So I'm curious as to how long he's sticking around, but uh, but I did like his contributions this week. And, uh, and hey, we got some Jesus Christ Superstar action, which I'm sure you were happy about. Of course, I love my Jesus Christ Superstar. It was uh, it was fun. It was a good episode, and yeah, I think it was probably nice. Uh, this was one of the ones I watched last, so after all of the Thanksgiving centered ones, it was nice to have one that wasn't. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed this episode, and uh, the, the the reveal that uh, BJ and Ben are married worked a lot better than it should have. <laughs> so definitely, yeah, yeah. I I, I love the, uh, the the back and forth between should we tell her and how should we tell her, and the way it eventually came out was was. Just right. Yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah. But I like the other ones, too. I'm going to mention Go On specifically because that was one where, actually, I caught that later in the week. Uh, and, we, you know, it's Thanksgiving. People are hanging out. You're looking for something to watch. And uh, because everything takes Thanksgiving off, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday shows all pretty much did not have new episodes this week. Uh, there's nothing for us to really watch, so we popped on Go On, and I actually really enjoyed the uh, the episode this week. Dinner takes all. We had Lauren Graham come um, come on the show as a college friend of Matthew Perry's character, and also John Cho's. And so th then there's a bit of a 
love triangle-ish thing that's like it's teased in the episode and it was a lot of fun and the cast worked well together there was, it was a good they've done a good job of of really balancing the the workplace and the the support group in a way that i was not anticipating you know would come together this quickly so i i laughed a couple times and i had fun so apparently i need to be paying a little more attention to go on wow has the sort of central will they won't they got any less annoying oh yeah that's gone which is nice oh good that was not Excellent. there at all. I watched, uh, I think we watched two episodes this week and last week's, and it was non-existent. So, well done there. Uh, but l- non-existent or just dormant? No, like they, it was. I, I wasn't seeing anything. Yeah, there were there were no oh, looks, good. there were no lines, there were no double meanings. It was just this is a group of people, and so that was definitely the right move for them to make uh, with that. Excellent. We should mention New Girl. We had Rob Reiner and Jamie Lee Curtis come as uh, Jess's parents. Their Thanksgiving episode, I think, was a lot of fun last year. What did you think of this one? It was all right. I... Rob Reiner, director of some of the greatest and some of the worst movies ever made. Go figure. <laughs> um, I, you know, it, it, I thought it was a little bit too um, cameo-y and not believable enough for them to be her parents. Uh, it was just it, They were amusing, but... I would have just I would have been just as happy with two lesser known people who were maybe a little bit more um a, a little bit more believable, a little bit more organically sort of tied into the universe of the show. Yeah, I can see that. I think they you know, I was like when Jimmy Lee Curtis pops up and we don't I think Rob Reiner he doesn't really act that much very much, you know, at this point. I, I feel not like. much, yeah. So he, you know, it's nice to see them both pop up, but uh, yeah, I, there are some other casting we'll talk about later uh, in in our week in TV that I think works really great for for a believable family member, and this was not necessarily that. I enjoyed Mindy Project too. I'll mention I liked that we saw the group not coming together for Thanksgiving at all. I like that there wasn't some we'll have Thanksgiving at the workplace you know, contrivance. So, so there was a little bit of, you know, that with a couple characters, but for the most part, we saw everybody, um, in their own separate groups. And I thought that that pretty much worked. It was also nice to see Ed Helms again. Uh, so that, you know, I I think they've really committed to this Josh boyfriend guy for Mindy. And that's interesting given, you know, what a tool he is and how he was introduced. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see if they come back to that or if they continue to back away from that entirely. Right. I, I didn't watch Mindy Project this week because I, I was left kind of uninspired last week and I figured I'd wait and see what people were, were saying. But I, I am curious to see if the um if the running order situation with the episodes has been flattened out. Like, are we now more or less the way things should be? Or are they just kind of like plotting episodes wherever they see fit and seeing if it sticks? Yeah, they, this one fits far more logically with where the characters are than the last one did. But uh, yeah, I think that'll, you know, they're still like these, like a couple of these are still first season shows. They're still kind of figuring out what they want to do. Mindy Project just changed up their, their cast a little bit. Anna Camp has been reduced to a recurring role rather than a regular. Uh, that's, that's of course Mindy's friend. And then right, yes. the, the other uh, secretary who had the, you know the crush on Danny, that character, the New Jersey one. Yes, yes she's go- she's gone. She she's been uh, cut from the show. So they're still kind of tweaking things. It's too bad, actually. I enjoy that character, um, so I'm gonna miss having her presence on the show. But we'll see if they can, you know, continue yeah. figuring themselves out. I saw I saw that news too. I mean, Anna Camp was already behaving like a recurring character anyway, so that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. 
And if, or actually just a barely present character, I, I would have been totally fine with them cutting her and then finding something else. And I noticed they're also bringing on another friend, so obviously they're still having trouble with that. Yeah, trying to make everything fit together. At least they're not pulling it up all night and yeah. completely, completely <laughs> reconfiguring it. Yeah, I don't think that would work at all. That is true. I, that would not work. Uh, let's move on, though, to the other Tuesday show we have here, which is Parented, One More Weekend with You. And I was behind last week, so I caught up. I saw last week's and this week's. And, man, they are going there with the chemo. And they're going there right away. And I got to give them credit. This was a good episode. And I like – I was – yeah, you know, that was the main takeaway for me. That I love that they didn't shy away from what chemo does to a person. And uh, man, Monica Potter. Oof. Yeah. Um, I feel like they didn't leave themselves a choice with that, considering how much they'd already built it up. And, you know, Kress specifically mentioning the effect that it has. And, and also us already seeing uh, cancer patients and chemo patients. So uh, I think they did, yeah, they did a great job with the makeup. And, and uh, Potter did a great job not... Uh, not overdoing it, but clearly not uh, not shying away from the, the ugliness of it. And as I mentioned to you, immediately after seeing it, I think Peter Krause immediately launches himself into the pantheon of incredible TV husbands. I think actually oh, he's God, even giving yeah. Coach a run for his money right now. I, I feel like going <laughs> going to your brother's house and getting some some pot for medicinal use is exactly the sort of thing Coach would have done in the same position. Oh, well, and, like, I, I mean, I, let's give Coach credit. He hasn't had that kind of a hurdle to, to, to deal with, but I think he would he that would man true. up. But um, I, that wasn't even the thing that would was winning him Husband of the Year for me. I mean, and the Peter Krause's performance in the entire episode was, was great, but uh, the dealing with the, the son and the friend and the baby, and that that's what won him Husband of the Year as far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, she, she Christina throws up while she's walking up the stairs and she can, you know, and he's not, we got this. It's totally fine. Un completely unflappable, completely mature, yeah. and uh, completely caring. And so, yeah. Okay. Can I just also mention that Parenthood sometimes is the most stressful show on television? <laughs> like, forget zombies and forget uh, courtrooms and what. There's nothing more stressful than just having an entire family with many children just yelling in, uh, in different directions <laughs> with so many competing demands. There's a dog in the background peeing on everything, and your wife's got cancer, and oh... <laughs> God. Well, and I also loved what we got with Bonnie Bedelia this week as well. Uh, you know, and how she she's trying to help, but in helping, she's some in some ways making things worse. And I, not having seen the other seasons of the show, I don't know what other you know history there is with Christina's mom. So I don't yeah I don't know what's going on with that relationship other than what we saw in this episode, but. I loved that that brief scene we got between the two of them, and and then that's not even to mention. Let's talk about uh, Matt Loria and uh, and what he had going on this week, right? Which again, I still I still can't shake the feeling that he's just still the guy from Friday Night Lights who went off to war and came <laughs> back. Uh, but but whatever, he's he's got his mode and it works for him. Uh, yeah, that stuff was all strong, and uh, I don't know why this stuck out to me, but I but I really liked Mae Whitman's uh, funeral dress. Yeah, well, I I was noticing that I actually thought it was a bit too glam. I was a little confused by it, but she looked fabulous. <laughs> yes, she did. Um, yeah, that that, that whole strain, I don't know why that stuck out, but that whole strain was uh, was really strong and probably the strongest material they've had in that subplot yet. I'm, I'm curious as to whether they're going to keep him around for the long haul or if he's going to be like a one season deal. 
Uh, we also got Ray Romano back this week, and but, but they did very little with that, which I thought was good. I thought if if they're going to backpedal that for a while, I think this is a good time to not press it too hard, considering how much focus the uh, the cancer stuff is taking. The stuff with with Lauren Graham's son, I forget his name. Um, <laughs> I know it's. I know it I should hilarious. find it. I should find it funny, but I'm just finding it too stressful. Just. Just oh, that's not going to end well. Of course he's, be... <laughs> of course he's, you know, using his aunt's cancer to get laid and to get back together with his girlfriend. Uh... I mean, he's a stupid teenager. He's never seen know, anyone just... die. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't deal with it. I just, it, it, it's, it's, it makes sense and it, it's absolutely appropriate for the characters. I just can't deal with it. I just. I can't. I want to skip to the end and and not see any more of that. Yeah, I don't think worse uh, of him for that. I think I think worse of her. I mean, she's... I, I I think worse. Of, I think worse of both of them. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> um, and then the last thing uh, I wanted to mention was the I the the Victor and uh, what's the what's see what's the daughter's name? I don't even remember the daughter's name. The, yes, Victor and the girl. His. <laughs> His quasi sister. I was glad that came out this week because I had actively been thinking about. This. I was like, wait, don't they have other kids? Why are we never seeing their <laughs> other kids? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, as much as it was like, I, I find the daughter a little bit too cute. Mm-hmm. But uh, not not you know obviously you know she's got attractive parents and all that. Just but I feel like she behaves a little too cute sometimes. But a little uh, precious. But the, the, a little precious. Yeah, that's a good word for it. But uh, I, you know, I I did the running away thing as a kid, so. It was nice to see someone else do it on television. Well, and I love the parents' reaction of, oh, this is adorable. And, then, <laughs> you know? and she's like, it's not funny. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is a little funny. funny. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. then I, I liked the the realization, especially and having it come from the dad, I think made sense of, hey, she has a point. that She didn't do this for no reason. She's not just looking for attention. Yeah. She or actually she is just looking for attention, but there's there's a legitimate cause for it, and and so the that scene of her ice skating was nice, and uh, no, I I think they've done a really good job of balancing everything that they have going on, and given how yeah. much they have going on, and the uh, the fact that you normally you'd think cancer gets all the attention, uh, I think that that's actually uh, quite a feat. Yeah, I agree. There, it, it's a good tonal balance, and it's also a good, relatively non schmaltzy balance, which is also really difficult to do with a cancer plotline going on in a family-oriented drama. Uh, this week on Parented Music? I didn't notice anything this week, which is good. Uh, last week, yeah, there was there was some annoyances. But uh, this week, I, I didn't pick up on anything. So, good. Keep good. it up. Excellent. Okay, let's talk about Top Chef Seattle this week, uh, which they, they did team Thanksgiving offs. Uh, what'd you think? <sighs> Josie, Josie, Josie. Okay. I've made at least six turkeys. Mind you, they were all discount post-Thanksgiving turkeys that I ate by myself over about three weeks. But still, I have never undercooked a turkey. It has never happened. I don't know how she managed to undercook that goddamn turkey. And they should have just rescinded her immunity and been like, screw you, and kicked her off the top of the Seattle Tower, or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, that should not have been okay. And, and the fact that in, in her place, Kaneko went home made me very sad. Yeah, I I was I was surprised that Kaneko went home just because normally I feel like they play that up more and they didn't uh as much as I was expecting. Um and I think it's too bad. I think she's actually quite good uh, and she got burned by the helping other people thing. But and I liked that it was a Josie stood up for her. I mean, it's easy to stand up for somebody else when you have when you have immunity, but uh 
but you know it was nice to see some of that and um when it comes to the turkey yeah i mean you're a thanksgiving expert i mean i always use an internal thermometer for for that i mean i i don't leave that to a wing and a prayer but I mean, it's really, nah. it's, you don't want to overcook turkey either because it just, it has no flavor if it's overcooked. It's really dry and you have to pour gravy all over it. And Undercooking is always preferable at home because you can always cook it more. Yeah, but... obviously you shouldn't, it goes without saying you shouldn't undercook turkey or any yeah. poultry ever. Yeah. You should not put an, an undercooked turkey on a, on a table. It should just never happen. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Well, and you think, didn't they slice, oh, did they slice it at the table? Yeah. Because they wanted that, that presentation? Is, yeah, that's, I'm sorry, but I, I know it's a nice presentational thing, but that is just too damn risky. Yeah, that, that, we just, we don't do that at my, at my thing. So then again, we also don't get a gigantic bird because there aren't enough people to warrant, I don't, I don't understand 20 pound birds from anyone, let alone, unless you're feeding like, you're don't you're donating it to a soup kitchen. I don't understand why you would use a twenty pound bird in your home. Um, so we always have a small bird, so it doesn't actually look that impressive, anyways. So we always carve it and and just hand pieces. And I feel like that you know then then Josie wouldn't have had to worry about anything because she just would have made sure they got pieces that were done. Right. But mind uh, you, uh, all things being equal and both birds being cooked normally, I still would have found Tom's Thanksgiving a little bit more exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. It it in general it looked a lot better. I I was bummed by the desserts. I gotta say, come on, m- make a pie, man up and make a pie. Get, <laughs> I, I was I was very surprised that that Josie didn't you know t- because she had immunity didn't do well. I'll make the pies then because I have immunity and it's dessert. And come on, what's Thanksgiving yeah. without pie? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess American Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, we 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 do pie up here too. But I agree, the desserts weren't all that exciting. But anyways, we'll I you know we'll see how things go moving forward. I'm still enjoying this season. I I guess I've accepted the returning people as just being part of it. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still liking liking this. I yeah. don't I don't. It, wanna... it already feels like an improvement on last season. Yeah, I just don't want to have too many more team challenges. They get old quickly. Um, so that's true. I'm glad we're getting a double elimination next week. Yeah, double elimination is definitely a good thing as far as I'm concerned. So I look forward to more delicious looking food in in our in our TV viewing future, especially as we get into the doldrums here. Uh, but let's let's move on. Speaking of doldrums, we have nothing on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, but on Sunday we had uh, the Amazing Race. Uh, this is the ninth leg, and you are still winning in the the in the poll, sir. But we are gaining on you, so. I'll take what I can get, I guess. <laughs> I continue to be triumphant, as I will, until the season is over. I possess- This isn't hubris talking, it's just it's just the facts. <laughs> um, I'm feeling- And, as far as picks go, I'm feeling- I'm still feeling really, really good about picking James and James good and early. Or, you know, I, at least- uh, not. They weren't my first pick, but I, they were my second pick, and it was uh, maybe four or five weeks in. I feel like we get- the best of them this week even though they don't get they didn't get to the fast forward they still pretty much nailed everything and i'm I'm feeling good about that especially just their their showmanship was fantastic yeah you could tell that they had been like waiting to bust out the cuffs and collars like it (laughs) i don't feel like it took that much prompting for them to you know because though honestly if you're gonna try to collect money fast that's gotta help i mean it's it's got it's gotta help so frankly i would have started with that yeah 
Um, and uh, let's see, we I enjoyed the the 20s. They're my pick, and so they're looking good this week. Apparently, Mario got retweeted by them, so he was feeling special, as you would. I would feel special. Got retweeted by the 20s. Um, so we'll see what happens with them. Uh, I got to say, the I, I did enjoy the James's struggle with the U-turn, but the the I'm not sad to see Abby and Ryan gone because. Especially by the end, when they're like, "I can't, you can't believe you, you, you know, you turned somebody you thought who was a you, was a friend." But when like thirty seconds earlier, they had said that they planned on you turning the 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 Beekmans. It's like I was hoping we could get there and you turned the a little bit for them. You turned the Beekmans, and then we'd have. A, it's like you were just saying that you were going to <laughs> to, to to sabotage your the people who have been your friends the last three legs. So, there are such incredible <laughs> epic tools. It, oh it's, my god! It's almost it's mind-boggling, and I'm so glad they, they, it took way too long for them to go. And uh, yeah, I, and, and I and I was it was nice to see Josh and Brett were were, were kind of saved for me this week. I, I I I found them a little bit annoying in previous weeks, but they were way too nice mm-hmm. to them. I don't know why they were so nice to them or why they're friends. I, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. But you know, life often doesn't. Um, and as for James and James at, at, at the U-turn, I thought it was really sweet. And I also thought it was a little sad because they didn't need to do it at all. Like it, it didn't really, it, it didn't serve a purpose as it turns out, because, you know, the, the twins would have just as easily have done it next, but they didn't know that. So, yeah. um, so, you know, they, they sold a little bit of their soul, but it was fine because nobody cares about their souls anyway. <laughs> well, but I, Abby and Ryan's, I mean, it, it does, it is actually, if you're playing the game, it is a, a, a good move to get rid of people who you think are your strongest competition. And from that perspective, I think it made sense to, to U-turn them to try to get them eliminated. But as yeah. you know, no, strategically it made sense, but I'm just saying in terms of the, how the karmic actually... toll or however they, they put it, but, but what also when they put in, in the, uh, in the lens of cancer, uh, yeah. you know, it, it became incredibly easy to justify their decision. Well, and didn't the twins skip right past that? They wouldn't have gone there because they just went straight to or, the sorry, Asia. I meant uh, Trey and Lexi, I guess, would have done it. Oh, but Trey and Lexi needed to, to put them so that Abby and Ryan couldn't also U-turn the, the, the Beekman. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes, advanced amazing race strategy. So, yeah, I guess, ah. uh, yeah, they had to do it. <laughs> so, yes, you're still in first place in the pool, uh, but uh, we're gaining on you. You only got two points this week, whereas a few of us got ten points. What? That was me. Uh, and, and, and yet I'm still in third place. <laughs> so, But uh, Dan and I are coming for you, as well as everybody else. The the, the standings really change up a lot in the last few episodes. So we'll yeah, we'll see what happens. It's going to come down to, to who wins, probably. Yes. So we'll see. But I don't feel good for those of you who had to make a new pick last week. Yeah, yeah. A lot of bunch of people are going to have to make a new pick for this week because the, the bunch of people had Abby and Ryan. So we'll see what happens. Uh, that's what that's what happens when you play with the devil. <laughs> Next up, we have Bob's Burgers and the Deepening, which was a, a Jaws, you know, homage, and it was hilarious. So, uh, what did you think of this? You know, I actually thought this was kind of a lesser Bob's Burgers, which is still better than most other things. Whenever they do episodes that kind of hew more closer to being a single parody of a single thing, it it's always a little bit disappointing to me. So in terms of, so structurally, I didn't think it was all that great, but there were lots of individual notes in the episode, almost all of which were, of course, kid-related. <laughs> um, I was particularly fond of Shark Boss! <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, insert insert line of your choice um yeah i, I don't know i i i'd put it in the bottom half of the season but still pretty damn good yeah i mean coming off of last week's thanksgiving episode 
which is definitely got to be like what a series high probably the this was mm-hmm. not as good as that but it was still a lot of fun um next we have the good wife a defense of marriage and lots of doma this week uh, defense of marriage act and we had dallas roberts on our on our tv screens once again what did you think i thought this was uh strong i thought this was better than uh, several other recent episodes have been uh, thankfully, not a lot of stuff with Mark Warren, although I did like the one scene with, with Carrie very, very subtly threatening him. Uh, and so subtle that I'm not even sure, honestly, what they were talking about. Oh, I thought it was incredibly blatant. Okay, you go forth then. Oh, yeah. Well, he's, you know, he knows everything about him so that he can bring him to the cops or turn him in if he screws with him. If he's not his lawyer anymore, he's screwed. And uh, okay, that's got it. that's where that was going. Sorry, I, at first I thought you were being sarcastic. Uh, I wasn't sure, and so I was confused. Oh no, no, no! I really am that thick. <laughs> but I, it's a weakness of Mark Warren's character and our lack of interest in him that we finally figure out this week that he actually does have a tow truck operation, <laughs> and it's not just some front. And we don't care. He does actually operate it. It was weird to see him in in like a coverall. That was very strange. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm getting at. Uh, but the rest of the episode I thought was was quite strong. Um, I, I like that Josh Charles got nothing to do this week, but with the arrival of Stalker Channing as Alicia's mom, uh, he was just like, I'm not getting anywhere near this episode, and his, his look betrayed that nicely. Actually, there's a lot of men looking terrified uh, in this episode, especially I loved Chris Noth opening the door and seeing the moms and just like, oh, God. <laughs> Oh, just the sheer primal male terror was fantastic. Even just the, uh, just Alicia sicking Jackie on her mom was just wonderful. (laughs) It was great. And this is, of course, the casting I was talking about earlier in the episode. I thought Stucker Channing as Alicia's mom was fabulous. I always love Stucker Channing, but I think she fit in really, really nicely (laughs) seeing her you know, swishing around the wine. You can totally see where Alicia gets some of her her traits. And uh, it was great. I want to see Cougar Town and Good Wife have a wine off. Yeah, no, that'd be good. (laughs) I I feel like Good Wife would drink nicer wine and Cougar Town would drink more wine. I I could see Zach playing Penny Can. Yeah, that's that's totally true. The the thing with Stockard Channing showing up was, at first I was like, there's no way she's old enough to be Alicia's mom. She's 68. She's totally old enough to be Alicia's mom. Well done, Stockard Channing. Yeah, there were so many. I, I, it's, I feel like it's a broken record with Good Wife, but it's like Stockard Channing, B.B. Newworth, Brian Dennehy, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. It's like, really? And they're like, have we even seen B.B. Newworth before? Or am I only just remembering her for the first time because I've in the interim seen Cheers? Well, I, she, I, I'm not sure. I feel like she might have been on the show before, but I did, I did notice that she's judge friendly. Uh, which was pretty great. Or Judge Friend or Friends or something. Yeah. But yeah, that was pretty entertaining to me. Uh, what else was going on? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the, the actual case and the way the episode sort of paralleled Doma with the many, many uh, troubled relationships that are going on in the show and in the case was relatively subtle <laughs> and not too... It was it was a little bit beat, beat you over the head, but not, not too much. Um so that was nice to see. But really, for me, it was all about the closing sequence in the house and just so much bitching and so much hamming up. And and uh, Alicia's last line was, was fantastic. Yeah, is this about your mom? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
like the, no one no one should find a way to make that line sexy and she pulls it off so well done well done Julianne Margulies yeah uh, the, the last thing I'll mention is it is so nice to have Dallas Roberts back um, he's you know popped up on Walking Dead again uh, this week as well so it was a it was a one-two punch of, of him this week but uh, or this Sunday more specifically but I have missed that character and just that that relationship that he has with Alicia I really enjoy watching it and especially because we don't get that dynamic between any other two characters on the show so uh so while some of the the courtroom scenes were a bit much uh, you know it was nice to actually see diane and and uh alicia get get you know get a win get a legitimate win and you know that was, that was actually kind of nice but seeing them stuck at the kitty table i felt like it was a bit on the nose there are a few things that might have been better handled but in general it was yeah. a it was a really entertaining episode do you want to yeah. see stucker channing stick around or should she be uh once in a while kind of i think i think once in a while is would would be fine mm-hmm. uh, mind you i did love her and zach grenier cackling with glee throughout the whole episode <laughs> yeah yeah they, they made a hell of a pair so yeah that could that can come back as far as i'm i'm concerned particularly that that pairing with should she have future legal issues you know with her various marriages but uh but yeah, it was it was good. So we also, as I mentioned, we had The Walking Dead, When the Dead Come Knocking. We have, of course, a separate Walking Dead podcast. You can find that at Sound Outside or on our iTunes feed as well. Uh, we I think we we all enjoyed the episode. It was it was fun. So there's a nice uh, what a half hour forty minutes of conversation there for you to find. Um, but next we have Homeland and Two Hats. Right, and I'm not sure about where this is all going. I mean, I feel like that's par for the course with Homeland, but even more than before. I mean. I think we knew Quinn was some kind of duplicitous figure that Estes had planted there and had some nefarious cross purpose. Um, but in terms of, I mean, there's three, epi- there's still three episodes left, which seems like too many. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm wondering, that's just, that's too much screen time. I feel like there's, they've got some really nefarious stuff up their sleeve and i'm hoping that it's good yeah i like what we got this week i think it made sense and yeah i I like that we have brody withholding some information however uh simple or or unimportant it is from the from the cia i think that makes sense and also i like that that they did that because i confirmed that what we were seeing was not his telling the cia but was that what actually happened um, so it wasn't just his perspective on it. Uh, that was nice to have that confirmed. I I do wonder how they think they're going to make it believable that Brody isn't, you know, is still in play after they shut down this sting. It just doesn't make sense to me. But uh, other than that, I liked what we got with Quinn. I thought that was good. I like what we got with, with uh, Jessica and Mike. I thought that made sense. And with Dana, too. So in general, a better episode than I would say the one before, and I'm looking forward to what they're where they're going. But yes, I would agree. Three episodes seems like a lot for where they're at. Right. I, I'm just assuming that by the end of the by the end of the episode, there's going to be like seven states have blown up, and Brody is now a woman, and it's just <laughs> gonna it's gonna be ridiculous. And I'm, I'm just I'm hoping they can tie it all together without it getting too overblown because I I do think it's gonna just go absolutely ham on us well given where we're at now do you think Brody makes it out of the season alive i oh of course he does there's no way that they're gonna kill off brody there's, i don't know happen. i think they can I'm, do I, it I, I am on record and maybe i'm wrong I, it would be cool but i don't think there's no way they're gonna get rid of the guy who just won the Emmy. there's okay. no way 
Um, oh, I did have one other thought, although it's not at all important. Why is Marina Baccarin the only person who gets naked on the show? It's really distracting. Um, I think we have has have another character's gotten naked over the course of the series. Not th- not that I can think of. Eh, I don't know. The, this has Just been a, a far there. more it's been a far more tame season uh, as far as explicit content yeah, goes than 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 last season. Um, but it was nice to see uh, the those two get together because I, I think it just it makes sense. So I thought yeah. that was that and was I, nice. I I was I was glad she was spared a walk of shame. Oh yeah, because I was nervous. I was nervous about that when she left the kids there, and she was like, "Can I do this? Yeah, I can do this." <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. And then I guess the final question I have for you is, do you think we're going to find out about the mole this season, or do you think that doesn't get mentioned again? I don't know. I, I feel like who's even left that that could be, other yeah. than Estes? I feel like it has to be someone we don't know, and so therefore it wouldn't have any weight. Silly. Yeah. Yeah, or it's Estes. Or it's Estes. And there's some sort of even other ridiculous conspiracy thing going on that we're not even privy to, which I'm really hoping that isn't it. Yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That just hurts my head to yeah. try and figure out. But the fact that it even prompts this ridiculous speculation, I guess, is the fun of Homeland. <laughs> True. Uh, so I guess we'll see where they go next week. Um, just when we you know think we know what they're doing, they turn something crazy around. So we'll see. Next on Monday, we have The Voice, the top eight. And I just got to start off with uh, CeeLo had the comedic highlight of the week this week because he compared Cody to Freddie Mercury. And he was serious. Uh, wow. Wow. That it's, it was astonishing. One of the guys did, uh, did Somebody to Love. Um, and he's not a particularly good singer or definitely not a great singer. He can't sing in tune consistently and the most astonishing thing for me was not that he did for they had him do freddie mercury and that the most of the judges were just falling over themselves to say that how good of a job he did uh it was that when i was reading recaps you know kind of, you know at 11 o'clock when i should be sleeping but i'm you know, kind of surfing around trying to see what other people thought most people seem to think he did a good job and to th- think that he rocked it which is i just it's it's freddie mercury back me up here if you can't sing in tune you shouldn't sing freddie mercury i i would get, i i don't watch the voice but i do think that is uh, uh sound logic i mean he they're like yeah he nailed the height yeah he hit the highest note that he sang he sang in tune it's just all those other ones in between that that he didn't and also he didn't do any of the amazing vocal improvs and gymnastics that freddie mercury does which is what makes the song interesting so if you're gonna cut out all the style from the song then i guess it's a little easier to sing but sorry i will finish my rant there i will say uh that i really enjoyed uh i really enjoyed uh nicholas uh singing he did um what's going on and he he did a really great job but in earlier in it uh last week he had done lean on me and this week in as he's you know having a session with CeeLo, bill withers came, comes in because he had seen the performance and really liked it, and so he came in to to meet uh, Nicholas and just he the stupid, stunned, slack jawed grin that he had on his face that Nicholas did was hilarious. Well, Bill Withers does rule, and he gave some some nice uh, 
uh, constructive criticism to Nicholas as well, which we saw him implement in his performance, and, and he did a, a good job. Uh, also, we uh, had another really strong performance from Amanda Brown. I still think she's the best in the competition. Uh, I'm getting kind of tired of Ballady Trevin, so hopefully they'll give him something new to do. Um, but yeah, it's in general, it you know, the performers are doing a good job. Uh, the the judges, the coaches seem to be doing a good job. Christina is obviously completely disinvolved because she's down to one singer and he's not going to win. Uh, so watching her be passive aggressive towards the best singers in her comments has been, you know, less than enchanting. But other than that, it's still fun. And I look forward to seeing who gets, uh, who, who makes the, the cut for the top. I think we're down to six this week. Um, we'll see what happens. But for the most part, good performances, interesting choices, and it's been fun. Um, and then we also had on Monday the, the fall finale for Revolution. Uh, far more sword fights. We actually got to uh, uh, got to see some, some backstory for Monroe. It was nice to see that that actor can actually act. It was He was really good in at least one of his scenes. After years of the cape and the first part of the show. <laughs> yeah. You finally get to see he can act. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's why he keeps getting cast and stuff, because when they give him something to do, he can actually be good. <laughs> yes, although um, I thought this was, for Revolution, I thought this was pretty strong. There there were definitely some hugely cringeworthy flashbacks, mm. uh, especially to the kid stuff. Don't ever flashback to when your characters are kids. Don't, just don't ever do it. For the For the amount of times that it works, the huge number of times that it doesn't work makes it not ever worth it. Just don't do it, period. But other than that, I thought it was a, a, a pretty fun episode. Honestly, even though um, I, I was, I was, I, I did like the adult Monroe flashbacks, I was kind of hoping Monroe was going to die just because that would, that would have been a pretty badass thing to do in your fall finale. It would have been good. Yeah. And if, if for a second, it seemed like it was going to happen, which was at least, mm -hmm. at least to me, but then no, they, as as soon as uh, as soon as Aaron got that pipe bomb ready, I was like, "Oh no, this is this is not going to happen that way." But um, I don't know, lots of goodness. Elizabeth Mitchell continuing to be a huge badass, which is nice to see. Uh, and and I have to say, it was it. I, I like the way they've established that between Charlie and uh, what's the brother's name, Danny? Yeah, that that she wears the pants there. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm here to take care of you. He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like that a lot. I think my favorite moment with Charlie and Danny was the escape, which was awesome, <laughs> where you think they're going to be climbing through, you know, vents and stuff. But no, because that's stupid. <laughs> Right, yes. <laughs> Instead of going to hit the guard in the face with the vent, which is really big in metal, which was so that was that was great. I, I would just that, I love when a show, you know, especially uh, I don't necessarily have the highest expectations for Revolution at this point, so I love when they can surprise me and get a laugh out of me. That that was nice. Also, Giancarlo Esposito actually got to be menacing again, and he was much better and far more interesting in that role. Yes, I, I I'm looking forward to seeing what they do now that they finally finally have everyone together and they don't need to do any more rescuing and if anyone gets kidnapped in that first episode i'm gonna be really pissed well the thing is revolution is now going off the air for about four months it is going to come back when uh when the voice comes back with its new season and i want to say like april something like that uh so it is going to be off the air for a while and this in general has been a really stupid idea it has not worked before i understand where they're going what they're going for with it where they want to be able to have the lead-in of the voice 
they don't want to have it tested by itself. Um, but viewers have short memories, especially when it comes to new series. So we'll see whether or not they come back. You know, even if this was a strong way to go out, we'll see if they come back um, when the show returns or if they've already moved on to new programming. Well, I'm not as concerned about ratings as I am about quality, and I think the break is good. Is a good idea for quality control. I think it gives them some time to think about what people have had trouble with and what they maybe need to retool and what the show's strengths are. Well, as long as they actually do that, then yes. 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 In theory. In theory, I'm... You know me, I'm the eternal optimist. <laughs> um, any final thoughts on Revolution? This, how it's, you know, this season, are you going to check back in when it comes back? Uh, probably. I mean, I, I feel like Revolutions is, is just so interesting as a show that sometime, that sometimes is horrifically offensive on a dramatic level and sometimes is actually really fun and everything in between. And I, I feel like it only had maybe two or three episodes where all that came together. And this was almost one of them. Um, so, you know, I, I, I am, I am curious. It's, it's not easy to do the whole serialized drama thing, super high concept with fun characters. It really usually only pulls off one of those things at a time, but even that's hard enough. So I, I, I'd like to give it a little bit of credit for that. Well, yeah, I think the, perhaps the ratio of sword fighting to other stuff tells you how good the episode is going to be. There was a lot of sword fighting in this. At least there was one sequence of it, and it was it was memorable, which was good. I, I also like them laughing about swords in the flashback. Like, ha ha, well, swords. <laughs> <laughs> it was corny, but it worked. Oh, yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, and I, while I was watching this, I did think um, it was a pretty strong episode, especially for, for them. I just kept thinking... What if this show had pulled a Homeland and this was episode four? Yeah. To cut all, if they, you know, if they had just cut to the chase with, especially with the character, you know, with the relationships, instead of just all this foreshadowing and ominous, what are you going to do when you're face to face with him? You know, it was, it was nice to finally, you know, get all of that all out of the way and hopefully now they'll keep things moving. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like now it, it's a cliche with us. Like every time I watch anything that's not Homeland, I think, what if this was Homeland? <laughs> the Vampire Diaries was pulling a Homeland before there was a Homeland. And so was True Blood. Uh, yeah, that that's true to some degree. Um, I, I don't know. Although the Vampire Diaries has slackened in its pulling of Vampire Diaries. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, we will have to stop comparing everything to Homeland's pacing. It's probably not fair. (laughs) But it's still fun to think about sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and this is supposed to be an adventure serial, so I think it's it's okay. Uh, Before we go to our our season spotlight with David Walker, a few show notes. You can, uh, of course, find us up at soundonsite.org. There will be a post for this podcast uh, episode, and you can put your comments there. We would love to hear from you, what you think about all this stuff, what you think about Treme and... Our, our lengthy conversation about it. Um, also, of course, the intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. We are in iTunes with an MP3 unchaptered feed as well as an M4A chaptered feed. We would love it if you would leave us a rating or a review there and help other people Pretty find please. the show. Pretty please. It's been a while. It'd be nice. Um, and uh, what should our question of the week be? Oh, by the way, we did hear from some people about what shows they're most looking forward to. We got some votes for girls justified enlightened and uh being human so lots of shows i really need to give a, to. I, I really need to give enlightened another shot next season because I, I i did hear that the the rest of its first season was quite strong um but yes question um i i'm actually since since the decorations are already up i'm wondering if people have uh christmas viewing traditions they're looking forward to ah yes 
the 24 hours of a Christmas Carol and uh, maybe what are your favorite, uh, what, what are your mainstays for, for Christmas? Last year we did 25 Days of Christmas and I did a personal 25 Days of Christmas the year before that and uh, last year pretty much just about killed me. So I will not be doing 25 Days of Christmas this year, but I'm trying to think of, you know, fun TV. So let me know. Uh, I'm, just, I, I'm just upset that I can't make you watch Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I got, I got my, uh, I literally, I'm, I, the part of the reason I'm not doing some sort of 25 Days of Christmas thing is that I am out of Christmas movies that are good that I have not seen. I don't think there are any because I've, I've, I've seen over 50. So there's, there are, there are very few good Christmas movies I have not seen. Uh, and, but though, but I do think there's a lot of good Christmas TV I might not have seen. So let me know, let me know what your picks are. Um, but now we are going to uh, listen to a clip, listen to some Bonorama and come back with, uh, Dave Walker from the Times Picayune and NOLA.com to talk Treme, the finale to Patina, as well as the entirety of season three. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd also like to thank our sponsor, Miss Janets. Just the tells on Frenchman Street, y'all. Yes, indeed. Oh, man, I feel like trombone shorty up here at the Jazz Fest, sitting here with all these groups. Uh oh, speaking of them. Come on, Troy. There he is. Got it. <laughs> the trumpet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Time for us to raise this tin roof. Huh? Y'all ready? clip from this week's season finale of Treme. Fortunately, not the series finale. Uh, and that, I, what is that? Bonapalooza, right? That's what those guys were called, I think, this week. But the, the name of the episode is Tipitina. It's been a great season. And here to help us talk about it is David Walker, the TV columnist for The Times, Picayune, and NOLA.com. Dave, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. So you'll write write these fabulous Treme write-ups every week. You're you know you're from uh, New Orleans. Uh, what did you think of this episode? What do you think of of this season? And isn't it fabulous? We have more episodes to look forward to. Um, yeah, it is fabulous, and and it's a, a, a it's kind of a mixed blessing. I think uh, the creators would have rather had a whole season, uh, rather had a whole season, but. Uh, the half season that they're in production on right now, uh, I think gives them the time to wrap up some of the stories they've been telling from the beginning. And based on what I've heard, they are going to have an, an awful lot more great music. I was at a shoot a couple of weeks ago with a, a great band, and uh, you know that that to me was one of the highlights of this season. I thought the music this this time in season three was really powerful and diverse, and some of the best music that the show has done. Yeah, I'd agree. It's been a lot of fun, especially with the character of LP, to to see the metal scene somewhat. And, you know, when you have Fats Domino coming on, it's really hard to... Like, my jaw was on the floor for that. Not to mention we got even more of the, the Mardi Gras Indians this season. So you're right, it's been a fabulous season for music. Yeah, it's funny, but uh, A.C. Thompson, the guy, the real person who uh, Everett is based on, uh, isn't really um, a metal fan. Um, so the the writer's... Uh, I think put that in motion for the character just so they could get to that scene in New Orleans, which is, um, I think, kind of unheralded in the larger world. It's certainly not a genre that's my favorite, but uh, I think it's very cool that they've uh, very gradually, steadily broadened the, um, you know, the scope of the local music scene to go beyond sort of the uh, horn bands and uh, brass bands and R&B um, there's a little bit of something for everybody. And I, and I totally agree about the Fast Domino scene. HBO sent all 10 episodes to a lot of critics, and uh, that episode and that scene just sort of stopped me cold. Uh, the meaning of that here locally is so profound, the fact that they would get time with Fats and that he would be um, such a willing subject. Uh, he's very... Um, he's a shy private person for the most part he doesn't really perform anymore um but i thought he was so full of um respect and love and uh, i just i thought it perfectly captured how people here feel about him and his role in you know the you know that the dominant um music um motif of the 20th century uh, he's one of the founding fathers of rock and roll and and uh, tried and true Born and raised New Orleanian, and um, so I thought that was a great, a great moment from season three. One of my favorites for the whole show. Simon, how what have you been thinking about the music this season? Uh, I'm I'm by no means a a jazz or R and B blues aficionado, but I've just been enjoying how organically the the music is is integrated, especially given the fact that that some of it is is synced up because obviously people like. Uh, um, like Delmon, for instance, are not really playing that for it, and I'm always impressed at how uh, how organically that's uh, that's that's pulled off. And I never think about the execution, which is the best thing you can possibly say. Uh, this particular last episode, there was uh, so much greatness. I, I obviously um, the the trombone jam and the the general big upping of, of trombones was great, and Antoine singing was was a real highlight. Um, I also 
Um, I, I guess we should we, uh, we should talk a little bit about, uh, or I'd like to talk a little bit about Davis and his uh, arc this this year. The one thing I, I didn't find totally convincing about the finale was the idea that that song that he recorded would go viral to people not in New Orleans, just because it seemed so specific to, to his plight. But uh, it, it was nice to see that character get a win in, in a way that didn't necessarily validate the way he'd been behaving bef- before. I looked for that video uh, on YouTube and I couldn't find it. I was really hoping it would pop up. Did I just do a bad search or, or did they not actually put it up? Uh, I haven't found it. And uh, I don't I don't know if it's out there or not. I'll, I'll at some point find out from the production and do a post about it if they did. I think they're missing out on uh, some traffic if they don't. Um, you know, I thought the fact that it, in the story that it does kind of go viral um says more about the internet than it says about the song um people just like to hear cussing and uh uh and it's a fun song you know it's it's a real song and it was recorded um by david rogan who the davis mcclary character is based on um and it was rewritten by davis the real davis for the show to incorporate storyline things but um it, the the real real song is on one of Davis's records and uh, sort of talks about his life. Um, there's a verse in the, the real song about, um, you know, he was a, one of the storylines from season one where Davis was uh, sending tourists. He got a job as a concierge at a hotel and he was sending tourists to uh, uh, dicey nightclubs. And, well, the real Davis actually had that job at one point. And so there's a lyric in the original song about that. But, um, uh, I, you know, the, the Davis quest is, uh, something that I think a lot of New Orleanians, uh, relate to because, um, you know, he's, he sees himself as a warrior for this culture and it's a little geeky and a little fanboy and maybe a little, uh, hipster, but, um, there's nothing in any of that for him other than, um, preserving the music and, and also doing something that allows those performers, those elder performers, to get paid a little bit. That that was a, the subtext thread of uh, the season was, uh, and it also played out in with Annie's character uh, about how uh, you know the chronic uh, mis- mistreatment of New Orleans musicians through the decades by the music industry, and how you know a lot of those performers featured in that Davis sequence uh, actually lived that uh, um, disaster where they didn't get royalties. Al Carnival Time Johnson, who was in that sequence and who sang with Davis and was in that final scene where Davis has to break the news that it, the opera wasn't happening. Um, there's a there's a classic story of him not seeing royalties for one of his hits for decades. Um, so... I think that's the story they were trying to tell. You know, Davis is one of those characters that's, um, you know, sort of binary for people. Either you love him and get it or you absolutely hate him. And uh, I hear from both. Interesting. I can't imagine hating the character just because Steve Zahn is so freaking likable. 
I, I mean, I have trouble with the character from time to time just because, you know, he cheated on Annie and uh, he's very self-centered, but he is really, his, his enthusiasm is incredibly infectious. And, and really, it's through the Davis character that we get so many of these really fabulous performance sequences. So I feel like he's such an important part to what this show is, if only in that, you know, in that role that he, that he, that he uh, services in, in, in bringing the music to the audience, I guess. Uh, when we talk about the music, I think there's been this really interesting thread with, with Davis's journey, as we were talking about, and then as well as Annie's. looks like she is theoretically eclipsing, air quotes, New Orleans, not focused on that market anymore, and maybe you know, she won't even be going back that frequently. Um, and then relating that to, uh, to Antoine and his, you know, his struggles to should he try to break off and do this modern jazz thing, which he doesn't know that much about. I've really enjoyed sort of the, all the, these musicians you know, trying to grow and, and blossom and really figure out their place. Yeah, and that's something that Tremé's done from the beginning uh, that you never see in uh, screen depictions of anything, uh, which is uh, address the the uh, the act of creativity. It's a very difficult thing to convey or portray um, uh, where inspiration comes from and um, how uh, art gets made. It's, it's something maybe in documentaries um, and, but it's just, it's a very difficult thing to tackle. And the uh, Treme's sort of been uh, focused on that from the beginning, not just music, but um, you know, the, the, the culinary arts are treated the same way. The act of creativity, um, the act of creation has been one of the, uh, one of the things that Treme has been uh, doing from the beginning. And, um, you know, the, the Annie storyline is um, interesting in that um, she's someone who's come to the culture um, from somewhere else. And, um, you know, through through kind of a personal story. Uh, and I don't know if that was intended from the beginning, but I think the writers fell in love with uh, Lucia. Um who has a great talent and a kind of a fearless approach to growing herself. I mean, she didn't sing. Um, her, you know, the actor's background is as a, a violinist, a classical violinist. And so I think it took a lot of guts for her to sing a Lucinda Williams song in uh, a primetime TV show. And, um, you know, some people like it and get it and some don't, but uh, I think they're trying to tell a larger story about um, the music business and uh, how that um, kind of wrestles with people. And um, uh, I still think she's a very likable, uh, relatable character to a lot of people. And, and the, you know, she did a, a second Steve Earle song this year um, uh, called that all you got is that all you got which was sort of the theme for the poster for season three and um which is like like this city the the song the other song steve Earle song that she does really is kind of a great anthem um and i think was uh on a lot of people's minds uh immediately after hurricane isaac which um sort of 
preceded the start of season three by a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, that was one of those, oh, here, here we go again, events for people in New Orleans. And so um, it wasn't intended to work out that way, but uh, I thought about that song a lot uh, when that hurricane approached. I can't speak, I can't speak to the, uh, to the local specificity of, of, of what tunes resonate, I'm afraid, but as for, I, I, I love, uh, Lucia Micarelli. She's always been one of my favorite parts of the show. And, uh, I, I wasn't aware that she didn't sing at all before. And her, I was especially wowed by her, her vocal performance. Not, you know, she's obviously not the greatest singer of all time, but she, but she gives it her all and she's got grit. And, uh, she's, she's always exciting to watch, especially the, the, those, uh, those first couple of times that she does it. I'm trying to think of other aspects that, that sort of, uh, blossom in this, in this last episode. I mean, I, I, I guess we should talk uh, a little bit about uh, Clark Peters, who uh, we, we somehow haven't brought up yet, who I, I feel like is maybe has always been the absolute heart of the show, assuming you can say that a show that's decentralized has one. Uh, yes, and and they and he's been, uh, uh, like a couple of other characters, he's never really caught a break. Uh, uh, Big Chief Albert uh, does represent a... Uh, a massive, important archetype in New Orleans. Uh, the, you know, he's modeled in part on uh, Tootie Montana, who was a, a big chief who uh, died right before the storm. But um, he too was a plaster craftsman, um, and I believe I'm, I'm believe I'm not screwing that up. But but um, you know that's a they very subtly tell that story too uh, through the course of the three seasons about how important that work is to um, Albert. Uh, in, in addition to the craft work he does uh, sewing those suits, uh, the Mardi Gras Indian uh, aspects of Treme are some of the most authentic and carefully and accurately wrought uh, elements of the show. Um, and the sequences where the Indians do appear on the street are uh, are some of the most haunting and memorable scenes of of New Orleans life I think ever captured on screen. Um, to see the real Indians on Mardi Gras Day is is just like to walk into a dream. And uh, the way they capture as well the um, the sound of the Indians, uh, which is one of the baseline, um, uh, components of all new Orleans music, uh, in the second half of the 20th century, you know, a lot of the great R and B hits and songs, um, uh, that came out of new Orleans have that, uh, Mardi Gras Indian chant and song, um, structure, uh, underneath. Um, um, so, uh, you know, Clark Peters is just a great actor, and and one of the the highlights of season three was the screen time he got to spend with Candy Alexander. Um, as those characters came together, uh, there's those minutes on screen are just impossible to turn away from, and uh, it's it's two two performers really at the you know the height of their of their craft and and. Uh, and I think as a viewer, I was just so grateful that the, 
that one of one of the separate threads was allowed to cross there, and they were able to um, uh, act together in scenes. I thought that was really great. You know, that's one of the things that sort of frustrates people about the show is that um, is that it's multiple storylines uh, only occasionally crossing. Uh, and the actors have told me that's been a frustration too. Um, sometimes they don't even get to see each other until the rap party. And so I think they're grateful when they do get a chance to work together. Well, and speaking of that, we should talk about that, that fabulous uh, scene late towards this finale where, you know, we have the, the benefit for Gigi's and, it's the closest I think we'll probably ever come in this series to all the characters in the same place at the same time. And it was just such a, you know, it was a very exuberant scene. There's, you know, all that great music that we already talked about. It's in this episode, but Davis introduces himself to LaDonna and we, we see, uh, you know, even Nelson is there. There's just pretty much everybody that there could be any legitimate reason for them to be there. They're there. And there's a really long tracking shot uh, that follows each of the characters around and really weaves, uh, just physically weaves together all these different storylines in the motion of that shot. And it was it was just so wonderful to see. And I think perhaps, and it's the same thing for me with LaDonna and Albert and Candy Alexander and Claire Peters, because it's taken so long for the, for those two characters to come together or to meet we, we've really gotten to know them individually. And so when they do meet that, that makes it that, you know, that, that relationship all the more powerful. And I feel it's pretty much the same in this sequence because that never happens. It's, it's really special. Yeah. And I think it was the writers uh, acknowledging the fact that they've kept a lot of these people apart. And uh, you know, the scene was written and executed uh, months before they knew there would be a season four. And so every season, and this is true, for The Wire as well, um, they had to complete a season not knowing if they'd get another one. Uh, the first, you know, in the, in the case of the first season of Treme, they got re renewed while they were still in production. The renewal for season three came at the very end of production on season two. And if you remember the montage at the end of season two, sort of sort of wrapped things up enough to serve as a, a, a fine parting uh, thank you and farewell um, to some of the characters. And I thought that, that, uh, the scene at the blue Nile with the Gigi's benefit with Bonarama and John Boutte performed, you know, Tom McDermott, the piano player, they'd all had parts and pieces of the show all along as well. But I agree. I thought that was really cool to see, um, everyone's, uh, everyone's separate lives kind of coming together just for a few minutes. The uh, the only aspect of that scene I, I found confusing was when uh, when uh, Chief goes missing for uh, sorry when uh, when Albert goes missing for a, a few minutes and it seems like it's it's uh, because something has happened and then we skip to the next day which I, I wasn't sure exactly why they did why they did that other than to you know give us a a, a, fal a false sense of dread for a moment there. Well, I think he. Uh, uh... My recollection is that he offers uh, to give LaDonna a ride home. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I just completely missed that. Yeah, yeah. And so and so I thought that was uh, really sweet, too. And, and you know, some commenters on, on some of the posts I saw were wondering where Larry was, LaDonna's husband. Well, I mean, they got young kids. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and Larry probably knew. I mean, I don't know, but my guess as a viewer is um, 
they someone had to babysit, and it was going to be a, 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 an event where LaDonna had to sort of be free to talk to people. But I thought, um, you know, given that uh, the time they'd shared, the characters, those two characters had shared, I thought it was a kind of a sweet, open-ended way for them to conclude this season's arc together. And um, uh, uh, I thought that was a, a very sweet little moment. And yet one of the other little things that happened in that scene is that um, little Freddie King... Uh, is a musician who came up to say hello to LaDonna. Well, he had played in one of the scenes at Gigi's, you know, a real performer. Uh, and it was a way to sort of tie all those things together, how important Gigi's and all these venues are to the uh, musicians who um, play there and get paid there. Um, so it was, I thought a nice little touch. Spe- uh, speaking of LaDonna, was anyone else surprised by the decision to skip her testimony? Yes, at first, but with reflection, I think it actually it makes sense uh, because it's sort of a relief for the viewer as much as I'm sure Candy Alexander would have knocked any testimony scene out of the park. It allows the viewer to not have to relive what happened to her. And I think actually, you know, while I was looking forward to her getting some sort of triumphant moment in in, in any sort of sense, you know, even if just feeling that she's heard, um, I think not having to relive that trauma with her was maybe actually a somewhat of a gift to the audience. Uh, I felt the same thing. Uh, and in part because the viewers had spent the whole second season reliving the moment and suffering with her, um, as, as she recovered from the assault. And, uh, I thought it worked effectively, you know, from, from a dramatic perspective, um, jumping to the result, uh, I thought was fine. It's an inter- it's, it's a good observation and one that that I think you're correct. I think she would have it would have been great TV to see her um, testify there, looking her um, assailant in the eyes. Uh, and maybe they shot that, maybe they didn't. I don't know, but um, uh, I, I didn't miss it for for the reasons I, I mentioned. I I felt like I had lived it already. I think uh, more than anything, because we've already talked about Ladon and Al- Albert, Albert uh, I think they really are the heart of the show. And 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 so that's why when these two characters have come together this season, th- those have been most of my favorite scenes, probably this season, at least non-performance scenes. Um, but I really, th- I loved this last shot of the episode. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about, there's plenty of other characters for us to get to, but before we leave, uh, the, the chief... I love this last shot of him. Just well, I'm gonna. I might as well get stitching, get sewing for for Mardi Gras. You know, it's it's not gonna sew itself, and it feels like that is that last shot is really the the testament or the the theme really of what this show is all about. And it, this did feel very much like a series finale to me. So I'm curious uh, what you guys think about how, you know, this next season is going to, how are they going to be able to do a finale that's more of a finale than this? Uh, well, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm sure that uh, Dave will might have some idea about where they'll go in terms of specific events. But I think in terms of sort of explicating the show's master theme, as I see it, I think that this episode did a, did a fantastic job. To me, Treme is, it's I mean, it's a show about a lot of things, but to me, ultimately, the the principal thing that it's about is work and what work means and the the, the many different kinds of meaningful work what 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 i find uh, amazing about Treme is that it managed to give it manages to give equal weight to journalism to police work 
to to musicianship of many different stripes uh to you know to cultural um cult- cultural promotion i guess in the case of davis principally or 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 curatorship if you want to put it that way um to to being a fisherman to being a fisherman yes a, a, a good yes exactly um and uh it's et cetera et cetera and the fact that the show doesn't seem to the show there's I can't think of a profession the show doesn't consider to be important and to be relevant to the way New Orleans uh, residents live their lives and I guess by extension Americans and uh, I I think it, it I I love how wonderfully inclusive the show is towards uh, towards this notion of work and what it is to be productive. I think it's a great observation and it's and it's it's one of the things that I think. Uh, uh, you know, distinguishes the show, but also maybe uh, distances the show from some viewers. It's just not something you see depicted. That's like the act of creation. Um, and you're right, it's diverse in its approach to uh, professions that uh, don't get a lot of study on television. And and I think it's also making really important points about the work of uh, maintaining culture. Uh, all kinds of culture and the importance of that to the uh, life and soul of a city. Um, from the beginning, the theme has been how culture and the dedication to culture and all kinds of culture was one of the things that got uh, New Orleans through the worst early years after the storm. And uh, that, you know, makes the prosecutes the case of New Orleans is worth saving because of these things that make New Orleans unique. And uh, I think that the whole work thing is one thing that Tremaine does really well, and I think that's a great observation. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that they uh, are able to do it as well as they do, because it, it can be such a uh, small thing, you know, uh, making uh, something in a kitchen uh, is... Is, is not a cinematic act. Uh, practicing the trombone uh, is not a cinematic act. And um, that's part of it. Now, about the finale, they had, you know, the, the writers had to uh, conclude the season as if it would be the finale. They didn't know there'd be more. They'd, uh, they, they had outlined a whole fourth season. They knew from the beginning where they wanted the characters to end up. But they had to give, they had to sort of pull the, the shade down on the show um, in some way. And uh, what I thought was really kind of gutsy about this finale was as much uh, a closure and um, parting time they did give to the characters, almost nothing was really resolved. If you think about Jeanette's storyline, we really don't know how it's going to work out for her in the restaurant. You don't know how Elbert is going to do. Um, uh, Antoine seems to have reached uh, a great place, you know, with the music education for the kids. That's, you know, one of the major themes of the season. Um, but I think ending it with the, uh, the chief looking forward to his next uh, walk uh, for Mardi Gras was a, a great way to leave the show. And, and in some ways, in some ways, it reminded me a little bit of the um, Sopranos finale. And uh, this sounds weird, but to me, that that ending of that show was 
David Chase saying, um, we opened a window on these people. We were able to watch through the window their lives and all these epic stories. And I'm closing the window now. And um, their lives will go on or not. Um, we just won't be watching. And, you know, one of the themes from the very first season of Chimay is that there's really no resolution in life until there really is, uh, until the ultimate resolution occurs. And I thought um, allowing the viewer to uh, project into the future beyond the ending of this season um, with that scene, I thought that was uh, a great way to both end the show if it had to be that way uh, and also, um, you know, let the viewer think uh, forward into the next year. The next uh, the five season fourth the five episode fourth season will cover will only move a year further from the storm. It'll be set in oh eight and oh nine and I think there'll be a Mardi Gras scene um, somewhere near the end of those five if the chronology if the five episodes run you know from the fall into the spring um, uh, impossible to speculate <clears throat> how they'll end it up and finish about one thing uh David Simon shows are really good at. Uh, is a concluding montage that does unite a lot of the themes. And uh, there was another great one in this episode, um, uh, this last episode. So um, they're at work at it now, uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, I can't wait. And that that those themes that you know you guys both spoke so eloquently about, I, I think it's. It has been one of the things that I most enjoy about Treme, and it, it's, it's again. I, I mentioned this earlier in the season when we were talking about Treme, but it is one of those things that does remind me, that does connect this series to F Friday Night Lights for me, which is another one of my favorites. Just watching people try to live, and life keeps happening, and sometimes terrible things happen, and you just got to keep moving. Um, and so, and so to just see that to see where these characters uh, end up at the end of the season. I mean, Terry and his job, he's probably worse off than he's ever been. And uh, who knows if anything's going to come of LP's article, probably very little, let alone the Noah scandal or theoretical scandal that uh, we see potentially starting to play out. But uh, I think Jeanette's story is, is one of the more interesting. We, of course, earlier in the season, we had Jeanette uh, paired with Annie when they were both signing their deals at about the same time. Annie seems to have gotten a much better final result, uh, at least at where we are at this point of it, than Jeanette. Uh, but I did really, I, I, as much as there isn't resolution with that, it was nice to have the characters put the cards on the table and it feels like as they move forward to the next season, uh, we we will have a much more, I guess, honest situation at the restaurant. I, I was a little disappointed we didn't get any Anthony Anderson this week, but, you know, there's so many characters. I assume he'll be back next season and we'll get to see more with Derek, one of my new favorite characters. Um, I was trying to catch this, and I, I should have gone back and double-checked. that rest, the, Those plates that she sends out, those are not the ravioli, right? Um, at the at, in the last episode, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back yeah. and look. I, I thought that they. I mean, I don't. Re I don't remember off the top of my head, but I feel like they were not. So it was. It was sort of this. I love the little the notion of a defiant last note from her. So she, yes, she's stuck in this deal with this guy that she obviously does not appreciate at this point. But at least she does still get to control her menu. Yeah, that's one of the one of the 
uh, one thing to look forward to in season four because um, she's really, and I think Sam Robards as Feeney has done a great job in um, kind of embodying um, uh, not evil, but uh, practicality uh, in the restaurant world. You know, Anthony Bourdain wrote, wrote all the restaurant scenes and knows that world. And um, again, it's um, the show addressing the reality of a working life. And, and even if that working life is running a restaurant and becoming a brand, uh, one of the pivotal scenes in this season was Jeanette's meeting with Emeril, uh, which was an amazing scene because here's Emeril, a guy who's got a global brand as a likable, um, talented restaurant mogul and kind of admitting in that scene, um, it's hard and, uh, kind of admitting in that scene that you do have to sort of make a choice between, um, big and little at some point. And if you're as talented as she is, and, um, I, I think that it was a kind of pivot, kind of a pivot for the whole season for me, uh, especially for her, her arc. Uh, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to see, to see resolved in season four. Yeah, there's a, a couple of things that come up in, in the Jeanette storyline that connect to two other really big themes throughout specifically this season, but I guess the whole show as well. The first is gifts from above and how suspect they are and or simply non-existent. And you can connect that from uh, from Jeanette to everything going on with the Jazz Center to LP's investigation. And it's it again, that ties into work and the idea that if if you haven't worked hard for it, or it it's it's probably not real, and uh, and even if you have, it probably still isn't real. <laughs> um, so so bear that in mind. It's grim, but uh, but in in my experience, accurate, and uh, that and also the notion of authenticity, and the the perils of authenticity, and and the way people try to monetize authenticity, and the way that that's not always a bad thing, nor is it clearly always a good thing. Yeah, and they and they, I think they do a really good job in this season of uh, uh, very subtly dealing with the commodification of culture and and the the good and bad in that. Um, because I I'm someone who believes that it's a disgrace that there's not a national jazz center in New Orleans, and it's a disgrace that our landmarks uh, to the music are not um, uh, uh, preserved. Uh, which was another little thread that, that Davis kind of got into. So, you know, I don't, I, no one's really black and white in the show. And um, Ligori and Hidalgo and what they're trying to do is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, and, and Delmont and Albert deal with it uh, in kind of in their own way. They, they realize that there's, um, that there's an awful lot of baggage that comes with signing on to a project like that. And, and, and one of the, the subtle things about this season was that uh, Urban Mayfield, the trumpet player who joins them, um, uh, early, you know, later in the season and w was, he was actually involved in one of the first national jazz center projects, one that didn't get off the ground. Um, so that was a case of the, the writers folding in a real person and a real event uh, into their fictional story based on stuff that really happened. There really was an effort to turn the municipal auditorium into um, a national jazz performance recording 
center. Well, the fact is, it's still empty and full of mold and standing water. And um, that fence is still up at Congo Square and uh, a place that should be a mecca for people who uh, all over the world who love American popular culture from the 20th century. Uh, it's still really kind of shut off and, and uh, rotting. So it's the world's biggest metaphor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, before we run out of time here, there's a couple other uh, moments in this finale and also storylines that I, I did want to get to. I Honestly, I don't really care about Nelson, so <laughs> I'm good kind of kind of brushing over him. But I wanted to, to talk about Sonny because we get his wedding and in, in this and I it was lovely. And I, I was surprised to actually have find a smile on my face because Sonny is one of the, the less interesting characters to me. Uh, I think, you know, with this many main characters, there are always going to be certain ones that speak more to, to each viewer. And he's, you know, not as interesting to me. But uh, I think he's really been served well by especially not even just Lynn, but I really have enjoyed the of Tran uh, and and that dynamic and so seeing them at, at the at the um, at the bar at um, was the Blue Nile at in that sequence was pretty great but then also actually seeing his wedding I was I was really glad to see that and to see that at least for now it seems like he's he's doing okay and then also before we run, we run out of time got to talk about Tony and Terry and then Sophia walking in I think that was probably the funniest moment <laughs> of the finale yeah uh David Morse is a, an awesome actor who says more with his eyes than uh, a lot of actors can say with a soliloquy. And that scene where he's like pretty much motionless and there's um, some embarrassment, some mirth. How was Florida? Uh, <laughs> that, that was a great scene. And, and it reminded me of a scene. One time he was in Tony's office. Uh, I think it was in the second episode and he was waiting on Tony and he was pacing in the outer room and Tony wasn't coming out right away. So he just like stood and faced the secretary and just put his hands on his knees and looked right at her and didn't say anything. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a wonderful scene. Uh, Sonny's a really interesting character in this show. He's one of those characters that people have hated. Um, they've given him, uh, some redemption here this season. Uh, one of the interesting threads on the comments, there's a great blog in New Orleans uh, called Back of Town, um, which I really recommend to fans of the show. And several of the commenters there said that, you know, one of the, one of the rules of 12-step uh, of program of sobriety is uh, do not make big life decisions in the first year after getting sober. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I doubt that's foreshadowing, but uh, uh, it's something to consider when you see how quickly things moved for him. Uh, he did relapse and sort of figure it out. Um, uh, an interesting thing about um, Michael, who plays Sonny, is that he now lives here. Um, he's originally from Amsterdam, just like the character um, was going to live in New York. Um, but he fell in love with the place working on the show and uh, owns a house right off Magazine Street in New Orleans. He's a New Orleans, New Orleanian now. Um, I, I, I think the, yeah, Sonny was definitely so, so easy to hate, especially in season one when he was just being so terrible to Annie. Sweet, poor little Annie, uh, who, who we would never think of that way now. And um, 
I, I, I've really enjoyed his redemption. You, you mentioned you don't care about Nelson. I don't either. And I, I kind of feel like he's the last holdover of the characters who are kind of just here to make a point in the same way that, well, in sort of a similar way to John Goodman in season one, who seemed like such an obvious David Simon analog, even though he, I'm sure he was probably based on somebody else. Um, and I, I, I feel like that's something the show doesn't really need, but I, but I do like the way they've humanized him in spite of his sort of, uh, his conniving ways. Yeah, I think my take on him is that he's, of all the characters, he's least based on a real person. Um, they really did want to say something about kind of rapacious disaster capitalism. And uh, and that's, I think, his major importance to the show. But at the same time, he's also very important to the show in that He's someone who gets to discover New Orleans and someone uh, just like LP this season, someone who gets to come from somewhere else, having not spent much time here or little time here. And uh, that's an experience a lot of people can relate to who live here now. There's a lot of people who came from Mardi Gras one year or came for Jazz Fest one year and uh, did not leave until they saw a realtor. Um, They're called Never Lefts. I came for Jazz Fest and never left. And there's he in, he completely falls for the music and food and um, and and for some of the social culture of New Orleans, some of which isn't all that great. Uh, he I think he says at one point you can't make this town up. And so I think he plays an important role for the writers that way too. Is uh, discovering New Orleans through the eyes of an outsider, uh, which is a very important experience here. There's people all over the country who uh, have come here for a convention or something and, um, you know, retain a sublime moment that was not really available anywhere else. Um, And maybe they just came here to to gut houses in the ninth ward with their church group. Um, And I think he, a lot of his journey represents that, that experience for people. And at least that's how I relate to it as someone who's not from here, who, who moved here for work and, uh, you know, was able to discover the city that exact way. Um, so the, the, that's part of his role on the show, I think. Well, and I also think it's an important part of, you know, how the show functions as sort of like a postcard for New Orleans, but a more realistic, the, the, theoretically, you know, that sounds, you know, cheesy, but the real New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And, and I, cause I know several people who, for one reason or another, ended up in New Orleans before Katrina, and several of them aren't sure they want to go back because, because they, they have this, you know, this amazing memory of what it was, and they're afraid it, that it won't be that if they go back. And so I think having him discover Katrina first, or sorry, having him discover New Orleans first after the storm and, and love it and love everything about it, I think is important. And, you know, to show that there, this, this, yes, a terrible storm happened here. A lot of people died. A lot of terrible things happened. But this is still an amazing city. It's incredibly vibrant. And this notion that, oh, it's been ruined. We shouldn't even bother. You know, it's not the same place. It can't be the same place. That doesn't need to stop anyone from experiencing what is such a particular and such an important historical and cultural uh, city in, in the United States. And it's an interesting uh, tourist angle to take. Even if you're an evil opportunistic prick, you will find things uh-huh. to like about New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, the, the experience is all intact. 
um, post-Katrina. And it was pretty early on. And uh, the fact that they kind of send him on this trip um, while establishing him as um, someone whose motives are not necessarily all about helping New Orleans, but helping itself. Um, there was an awful lot of that kind of thing happening in the time frame that they're setting the show. And not all of it was necessarily uh, toward a bad uh, negative result. Um, uh, this is a, a city that's not necessarily um, wide open to uh, newcomers from a business perspective. And so... Um, so what he's doing is hard, uh, and I think they show that. They show the frustrations of trying to get stuff done uh, in the city after the storm. So uh, I think it's it was he's an interesting addition. You know, they added him in the second season. Uh, I think I seem to recall. Um, yeah. And so, uh, uh, I, and I believe all the main actors will be back for season four. It'll be interesting to see how how it ends up for him. Maybe he goes. Maybe he he buys a, a shotgun and decides to fix it up and and live there. I don't know. It's fun to fun to think about. Before we wrap up up here, are there any final storylines or moments uh, from either this finale or the season that you guys want to make sure to mention? I I think we hit all the points I want to, but I I will say that I I think I've enjoyed this season of Treme more than any other. I've heard that over and over, uh, and I think it has to do with the uh, um, there are just more relatable television you know, fields of, of ideas, you know, there's a, there are reporter and there's a legal aspect and then there's cops and a policing aspect that was always kind of present, but, um, it, it, I just think that helps sort of drive people through the things that are weird and, and, and unusual for TV, the long interrupted live music and the subcultures that you just don't really see on television. Um, uh, and all the other things that we've talked about here today, the the, the emphasis on culture and creativity and work, um, they're just they just don't those just aren't TV genres, uh, comfortable TV genres. And I think um, I've heard that from a lot of people, and locally and from elsewhere, is that um, I think people really like season three best of all. And and you know what? That may be totally a function of people uh, coming to the show now uh, in kind of the wire way, where not a lot of people watch seasons one and two on HBO, but those seasons became available on DVD and I think are easier to consume. If you can watch two or three hours at a time, the threads, you see how the threads are knit together that way. The wire was exactly the same way. You know, this, uh, this show is sort of built on the long tail model. And, um, uh, I'm not surprised that mm, people who came to the, the show this season, um, liked it best only because maybe they got more comfortable with how the stories are being told. Uh, and I also just think the, the music was awesome this year. Um, the, the Preservation Hall and uh, Sonny Landreth, uh, who Annie uh, records with. Um, it's, it's just like scene after great scene of uh, diverse, you know, well-performed music. That was really cool this year. So final final thing, favorite moment or musical performance in this season? Oh God, that's there's so many. Um, 
Uh, that's tricky. I, I feel like there's there's way too many for me to get into. I I did notice when I was looking back through some of your recaps, uh, Dave. You you mentioned the um the um the military bands uh, appear, appearance and their sort of and their jam with the with the students. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, and that's one of my highlights too. And that 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 is is uh, a an iconic New Orleans experience because the Marine Band marches in a lot of the big parades and uh, they also perform at the um, the Rex uh, Carnival Ball uh, on Mardi Gras on, on Fat Tuesday, the night of Fat Tuesday. And one of the uh, things they're known for is they, they play the straight marching music, but those are all excellent musicians and they usually play a traditional New Orleans song or two even in that sort of stuffy setting, and they do it on the street when they're in the parades, and um, writing them into a moment with the kids uh, was totally uh, a New Orleans parade-watching experience that everyone who's seen a Mardi Gras parade can either relate to or appreciate. Uh, definitely a, uh, a highlight uh, for uh, local viewers, for sure. Um, and I guess I'll give uh, I'll give the love to the showdown between the Chiefs this season. Uh, I gotta say, as much as I love Big Chief, I gotta say the Red Chief was prettier. <laughs> um, and, and it was it was I love the Mardi Gras Indians, and of course Clark Peters is always so amazing, and that music is really amazing. But just the whole the way it was shot, how gorgeous those suits were, uh, it, it was a fabulous whole Mardi Gras episode. But just I, I think I would give it to that that moment, or even the um, the the practice, the showdown in the in the practice. Uh, I think a couple episodes prior, I also loved the just the intensity and the vibrancy of that uh, that which we got you know, a bit more this season than we have in seasons past. And I, f- I feel like this is the season where I finally I really got the Mardi Gras Indians. I, I liked them before, but this is the season that. That, that it really hit home for me. So I would agree. I think this uh, season three has been the, the strongest uh, and the most uh, most consistent and the, the one that has the most unifying themes. I think it helps that Jeanette is back until she's not in, in New York and she doesn't feel separated from everybody. Um, but it's been a fabulous season and I can't wait to watch season four. Uh, Dave, where can our listeners find you online? Well, the Treme uh, site uh, that i uh, populate with my typing is uh, nola.com slash Treme hyphen HBO um, but just google Treme uh, Dave Walker and uh, it, you'll find your way there and it's got the um, it's got coverage going even uh, way back before the show was even announced uh, David Simon was talking about doing a New Orleans show when he was finishing The Wire and um, uh, uh, I've been covering it that way since since before then it was a big deal that david simon would uh spend his creative capital coming out of the wire um which by the end of its run was you know making best ever lists and uh the fact that he would spend that creative capital in new orleans was a big deal here and to people who know his work um so that's all there plus you know the explainers from all three seasons um Profiles of almost all the um, principal actors, plus uh, department heads, scenic designers. Sunday, I did a big piece about the props crew, uh, the props department, stuff like that. It's been a real uh, challenge to cover uh, something like this in the city, but uh, it's also 
kind of a bet on the long tail as well. I'm, I'm thinking that as people discover the show years from now, um, they'll still need some of, some of the stuff explained and uh, hopefully through Google or search we'll find it. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for coming on and thank you everyone for listening. If you haven't seen it yet, watch Treme. We say it every week, but watch Treme. It's an amazing show. Um, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.